0: And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's the Larry Miller Show! Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who had a great Mother's Day! Hi, folks, and welcome back to the Larry Miller Show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And yes, I said, great Mother's Day, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But boy, oh boy, and we are not on Milleronia today because of Mother's Day, but Colonel Jeff and I are uh, here at Stately Miller Manor, and we're uh, in the studio here at Miller Manor, and everyone's happy. And uh Ozzie and Maggie, the doggies, are here in the studio with us as ever. And it's beautiful out here in Southern California and we're happy and we're making another show that which makes us happy. It's uh it's a great blessing, folks, and I uh I hope you all feel the same way and you enjoy listening and uh Oh but once again that music makes me just chipper. It uh and the colonel's the same way. Of course, that's the Paul Robeson Orchestra and the Ava Gardner Dancers, featuring boy tenor George Carlin, asking the musical question, when someone asks you a penny for your thoughts and you put your two cents in, what happens to the other penny? Well, that's a heck of a question. Not surprisingly, anything from George Carlin, God bless him, was... Well, it was always nifty. It was just uh, what a mind and what a heart he had and still does. Well, you know, uh, first of all, George, good question. And it. uh, I think, and I asked the Colonel this too, and we agreed that used to be in days past that each of those pennies was used to weigh down the tone arm of every record player in America and that they, they we had one in our house that did that my dad uh god bless him we had got a we got a fisher stereo which was a big deal thing in 1960 or so when uh when uh, my mom and dad went and got one of those i think my dad brought it home and uh well that was a pretty uh pretty official stereo unit there and we had one was an fm tuner i think if that's the right word i think it is And the other was, uh, well, a record player, a turntable uh, that went into a different place, a sliding drawer in the cabinet he got. Is that called a credenza? And uh, the only problem was, and he hooked that up with uh, Julie Fink from down the block, who was always along to help hook things up. And uh, they were always... Well, we always, I always loved the Finks and the kids and, uh, they were always, Julie knew everything about, he was always really knowledgeable enough to get things 96% right. So they were just, now my dad didn't know how to do this and that, but uh, on the turntable, uh, they both hooked it up there and the, well, the tone arm wouldn't go down on the record. It was too light, too airy. It just, wouldn't, it just wouldn't balance down onto the record. So my dad took out a dime from his pocket and put that on the front of the tone arm. And it worked perfectly. You could push the automatic button. And, uh, well, you'd turn the, uh, the, the player and the, the unit on the right way. I hope those, those words are close. But, uh, you know, and then that dime on the tone arm, that tone arm would go up. It shook the tiniest bit. It shook just a little, little bit. But it would then go over, move over onto the record itself and go down, plop down onto the record. And it worked perfectly. And folks, that tone arm and that record player and that stereo and that dime were in the same place for 30, 35 years. You know, past uh, my parents uh, came to our wedding, God bless them, and they were, but that dime was ours. So uh, when uh, Colonel Jeff said, you know, hey, you know, maybe they used the pennies for the tone arms. I said, well, maybe they used a dime, too. And I told him that story, and I thought I thought I would tell you. I think, well, what happened to those pennies? What happened to all pennies? That came in. Well, I did, you, you know, I, as I said, used to be the colonel and I agreed that every record player in America had one on the tone arm. But when people, here was my idea that, you know, when people stopped using razor blades and uh, they, they haven't stopped using razor blades, I still uh, use a safety razor, not as much as I, I used to, but I've still got one and they still make razor blades with weird names, by the way, but that's, but that's something else. And you know what? There was a slot in every medicine cabinet, again, in America. Someone got the idea, and the colonel and I just agreed. It was either the the dumbest idea in history or the most brilliant idea in history. Every medicine cabinet that was put into an American bathroom, where it was uh, recessed in the wall, inserted into the wall there. Well, you know, those walls were, well, walls. They had... uh, plaster and sheetrock, and then they were made with the two-by-four, uh, and uh, maybe they had a beam, but they didn't really need one. And this was before that there wasn't any, well, lining. There was no asbestos in there, and uh, there was just a big space that went down to the foundation. So about five feet there, and the point is someone got the idea, and they did it. They put it in every medicine cabinet ever made. There was a little slot. I wonder if you folks had those that a little slot in the back wall, the little tin or metal part of the medicine cabinet, and that was for used razor blades. And that's why when the man, well, every man had razor blades and every man shaved, and when the razor blade got old, if you think about it, it's a great idea. What else would you do with the used razor blade? I mean, the answer is nothing. If you just, what, wrap it in something? Wrap it in paper or in wax paper or cardboard or anything, and then, what, toss it out in your big, well, garbage bag in the kitchen where you put the old ribs from dinner. I mean, someone's going to get sliced by that eventually, you or, or someone who collects the garbage. And the point is, this I, I, I think that's brilliant. I remember that from my childhood. I remember seeing that slot thinking, well, how do you like that? And knowing that's where my daddy put his razor blades, and the slot itself was only, well, about two inches long. It was horizontal, and uh, maybe an an eighth of an inch thick, uh, a sixteenth or an eighth, but plenty of room for a razor blade. And you could just take the razor blade, stick it in there, and it would just go, it would go well down four feet into the wall of your bathroom. And I thought that maybe when most people today, of course, almost all men stopped using razor blades today, well, people could use that slot for pennies, for all the old pennies from Tone Arms. And most people don't have Tone Arms anymore either. Well, what would he do with them? all those pennies? Stick them in the razor blade slot there. And then the colonel and I wondered, and I think it's a good question, who finds that? And... You know, we thought, well, maybe that when every house is torn down in a thousand years by the people of the future, and when our houses are all torn down, and they find in every house, well, a pile of razor blades and pennies. I think they, well, they have to look at each other, the people of the future. (laughs) And I love saying that. But the people of the future have to look at each other and just say, well, that's why these guys lost. I mean, that they, they couldn't hang on. What in the world would anyone want with saving razor blades and pennies? And I bet they all have beards too. Uh, in any case, good question. Good Lord, George Carlin, God bless him, and uh, good question. And uh, a penny, uh, penny for your thoughts. And you put two cents in. What happens to the other penny? Eventually, they'll be found by the people of the future. And there was a reason, by the way, I put in Paul Robeson and Ava Gardner. And you'll know in just a little bit. And by the Larry Miller Store. That's right. Today, I'm talking to you about the Larry Miller Store. The Larry Miller Show Store. It's it's open for business. And it features what the colonel loves to call three... Soon to be classic t-shirt designs. And it's true. We're very proud of these. You know what? And uh, take a look. What you do is you go to uh, type in com slash store. That's not uh, confusing, is it? So you go to com forward slash store. And that'll take you to the, uh, well, the Larry Miller Show store. And uh, boy, I love these things. The, this thing is, uh, we have the Larry Miller Drinking Society shirt, which uh, features the famous LMDS logo. And our semi-secret slogan, Nominum Quid geminus," which is Latin for, you call that a double? Which, let's be honest, I think we've all wanted to say to the stray publican here and there. You call that a double? That's a good t-shirt. Nominum quid, Geminis. And uh, we have a new one now The uh, that says, Keep Calm and Larry On on a t-shirt. I love those uh, Keep Calm and Carry On, which is all true and real, from England in World War Two, And, well, they got pounded by the Nazis. And that's the truth of it. A lot of people got pounded by the Nazis, but... The, uh, well, those folks really gave it to England, and they destroyed everything they could, whether it was schools or buildings or houses or churches, anything at all. And, uh, well, that was their slogan. Now, they put them up on posters for the English people, people, and they put them up all over all their cities. Keep calm and carry on. And I think. That's, you know what, that's good. Churchill, as he would walk through everything that had just been bombed out, heard many, many times, uh, Winston Churchill heard, people would call out to him, uh, give it them back, sir, which I think is a great thing to say. Give it them back, sir. And he would nod with his cigar, and they did. They gave it, they gave it them back. But at any rate though uh that's why I just l- love and we made this Keep Calm and Larry On shirt. And uh as we like saying here, it's not just a mantra for life, it's the motto sensation that's sweeping the nation. <laughs> and it's You got to wink when you say that. But you know what? I um uh, I like that slogan. That was Colonel Jeff's too and uh The motto sensation that's sweeping the nation. It's hard to say that without giggling, which in a good sense, I mean, because it's just fun to say. And, uh, finally though, show how tough you are. And let's be honest. That's what we all want to show how tough we are with. There's the brand new and this one, this, this t-shirt says, I survived volcano number two and all I got was this lousy t-shirt shirt. And, why uh, I like that one, too. All of these shirts, by the way, are printed on demand, which is a good word for anything <laughs> that has my name on it. So you can choose from, a, well, there's a variety of colors, and they're available in both gentlemen's and ladies' cut T-shirts. And it's it's a pleasure to be able to say two words like that, gentlemen and ladies, ladies and gentlemen. Folks, like it or not, that's you and me. So what you do is you go to the uh, remember LarryMillerShow.com dot com slash store, and uh, once again that's Show dot com slash store, and that brings me to my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. <laughs> Boy, that's making me giggle too. I guess I'm a giggler. At any rate, folks, uh, this is a good one, and Colonel Jeff and I both like it. Uh, Fellow walks into a bar. It's just great how many jokes start that way. By the way, I love that start, and it just shows you that's well, that's the the common turf across America for well about the last hundred or two hundred years. Man, well, I guess that even in revolutionary times, people would tell story. Man walks into a pub. At any rate, so uh, <laughs> that's how the joke starts. Man walks into a bar and uh, sidles up to it and uh, sits down on the stool. And he uh, just happens to glance over on his right. And there's a, well, a lovely young blonde woman sitting there on the stool next to him. And uh, so he just bartender comes over. He orders a drink and uh, sits there and enjoys that and has a few sips of that. And the uh, TV is on and the news is on. It's the 10 o'clock news at night. And there's an item on there that, uh, well, you know, a fella today just uh, went up to a building and he threatened to kill himself. He threatened to jump off the building. And he threatened to commit suicide. And uh, the uh, man at the bar just says, boy, I, uh," he just leans over, you know, turns to the blonde woman next to him and says, Boy, that's a that, that's a tough thing too. I t- I, I, I bet I, I bet he jumps too, and uh, and the woman next to him says, uh, "No, I'm going to have to disagree with you there. I uh, I don't think he's going to jump at all." And uh, and the man says, "Well, uh, that sounds like something we should bet on." I I say he jumps, and you say he doesn't jump. She says, "That's right." And he takes out a twenty-dollar bill. And slaps it down on the bar, and she just looks at him, and she takes out a twenty-dollar bill and slaps it down on the bar, and then they go back to watching the show to see what happens here. Well, sure enough, terrible thing. The uh, the news anchor says, uh, and it turns out the guy uh, did jump, and he and he died. He killed himself, and uh, the uh, both well, the man and the blonde say, "Well, how do you like that?" and uh, the blonde says, pushes the two twenties over to him, and she says, "Well, you won." And he says, "You know, I I, I got to be honest with you. I I saw that item on the news earlier today before I came here, and I knew that he jumped. So I uh, I don't I don't want to just uh, take your money for that." And she says, "Well, I saw it too. I just didn't think he'd do it again." <laughs> We like that. That's a good, silly joke. And uh, as, as you know, our policy is here. I always say, you know what, folks? If you like that joke, please pass it along to your loved ones and your friends. And that brings me to my second favorite part of the show. The Poetry Corner. Even that cough is, well, I guess I'm not giggling at that. <laughs> that fellow's cough. He's got to have that taken uh, taken a look at. Someone's got to look at that for him. Anyway, this is, this is a good poem, folks. It's by the great Herman Melville of Moby Dick fame and so many other things from the 19th century. What a great American writer. And it's called Gettysburg. And here it is. O pride of the days in prime of the months, now trebled in great renown, when before the ark of our holy cause fell Dagon down. Dagon foredoomed, who armed and targed, never his impious heart enlarged. Beyond that hour God walled his power, and then the last invader Charged he charged and in that charged condensed his all of hate and all of fire he sought to blast us in his scorn and wither us in his ire before him went the shriek of shells aerial screamings taunts and yells then the three waves in flashed advance surged but were met. And back they set. Pride was repelled by sterner pride, And right is a stronghold yet. Before our lines it seemed a beach Which wild September gales have strown, With havoc on wreck, and dashed therewith Pale crews unknown, men, arms, and steeds, The evening sun, Died on the face of each lifeless one, And died along the winding marge of fight And searching parties lone. Sloped on the hill, the mounds were green, Our center held that place of graves, And some still hold it in their swoon, And over these a glory waves. The warrior monument crashed in fight Shall soar transfigured in loftier light A meaning ampler bear Soldier and priest with hymn and prayer Have laid the stone And every bone shall rest in honor there Well, that's lovely, isn't it? Herman, Mel- Mel- Herman Melville, by golly. And there's nothing greater than that story. And, you know, folks, uh, we were just saying that we were talking about how, because, well, the Mississippi River is going to come up. I'm going to tell you something about it very soon. And Gettysburg, the Battle of Gettysburg, was won by the Union, by the Bluecoats by the United States on July 3rd, 1863, I think it was. And on the same day, July 3rd, 1863, the Battle of Vicksburg was won. It was a siege maintained by General Grant on one of the, well, one of the great towns and cities on the Mississippi River. Boy, those folks in Vicksburg had it bad. It was, I think, more than a year, a good deal more than a year. And they had no food and nothing to get, really. They were encircled. And, well, they they ate sawdust and and horses and whatever they could get a hold of. And then eventually they, they surrendered. But both happened on July 3rd. And, well, it, it means a lot, folks. The, these things, you know, I've never known how to feel, oh, boy, uh, we won or we lost. You know what, though? It just means a lot that it was done and that these brave men and all the, good Lord, all the Clara Barton nurses, wasn't she from the Civil War, too? So many people saved and took so many lives and america moved another step forward well you know what though folks it means a lot and you'll know why coming up now because this is time for my third favorite part of the show m m m the triple m magic movie moment Well, folks, this is a a great one for today that I'd seen before, but oh, it had, it's been a long time, and I saw it over the weekend. Showboat, from 1951, directed by George Sidney, and good lord, what a Jerome Kern and Oscar Hammerstein II, uh, and writing. There's so many credits here, and Edna Ferber, the great Edna Ferber. Wrote the novel, and, oh, folks, in fact, the greatest music, I think, in, a, in, in many ways, from any American musical. And I'm, I'm not sure, there, there's no clear credits here for that. But, oh, what a cast. Catherine Grayson as Marjorie, the, the lead. Ava Gardner as Julie Laverne. What a wonderful character. What a great job she did. Howard Keel as Gaylord Raffanel. And we were, the Colonel and I were smiling at this. They're great names. A little on the knuckle-headed side sometimes, you know, in, in musicals, but that's all right. Gaylord Ravenel, and he was a gambler, and he fell in love with Catherine Grayson, who played the daughter of Captain Andy Hawks. Captain Andy Hawks was... a uh, Well, played by the great Joe E. Brown in this movie. And, oh, he was wonderful. They were all so good. And his wife in the movie was Agnes Moorhead, who you will know, oh, from so many movies and also from the TV show Bewitched. She played Samantha's mother. What a great actress. She said, well, Samantha, now, all I want you to know, darling, is that she was wonderful in that show. And... Marge and Gower Champion, I don't know if you know those names, but they were some of the biggest dancers, and oh, as musicians and singers, they were just great. And uh, this is quite a thing, folks, this movie, it's see it, please, sometime, Showboat, and the reason it relates also to, well, to Vicksburg, it reminded me of things you and I really don't know that much The Mississippi River through the 19th century, well, from the beginning to to the end and into the 20th century, was filled with showboats. Now, it's not a word we hear anymore, but these were boats, large ones, ships, paddle wheels, and they were very nicely made. And they went up and down the Mississippi with shows, they would stop at every town like Natchez, everything along the Mississippi. They would stop and drop anchor and hook up at the dock there. And all the local folks would know, well, they'd advertise it beforehand. They'd, they'd, uh, all the people who worked for the showboat company would make sure everyone in the town and the city knew that the showboat was coming, whatever the name of it was. And they had great colorful names for it too. And, These showboats would land and people would come on from wherever they were and they would, well, have dinner there and they could dance and have a few drinks and then they would see the show on the boat. And there were many entertainers who were there. It was very popular and a good way to make a living there for a lot of the actors in 1850, 1880, 1890, 1910. You know, this was... They were very big then. And this show tells the story. It's just great. A gambler, a handsome gambler. That was Howard Keel. And uh, he's working a lot of these, as a lot of gamblers did. They would work a lot of these boats, the showboats. And uh, he fell in love with Catherine Grayson, who played, well, Magnolia Hawks, uh, Joey Brown's daughter, Cap Mandy's daughter. And she fell in love with him, too. And then, well, when his luck runs out a little, their relationship is troubled, and you should see the rest. But it's a great story, and the magic movie moment for me is the great Ava Gardner uh, plays a character who just hasn't found happiness in life. She's filled with a tugging sorrow at her heart. And she has a big drinking problem. Not a drinking problem, a big one. And uh, she, well, she couldn't hold a job as the great singer she was. She herself, in that area there on the showboats, was a wonderful singer. But she couldn't hold jobs and she was so unhappy. And all she hooked up with was men who were also unhappy and mistreated her. And they were big drinkers, too. And, folks, near the end of the movie, as the stories are told, and then the couple breaks up, and the couple, well, he hears about it, and Howard Kill hears about it from Ava Gardner in a different post, in a different area there, and she tells him, do this, do this, you know, your your wife. And they had separated, and he doesn't even know he has a daughter with her. And the wife has been raising the daughter, waiting for him, hoping against hope for him to come back to them. And Ava Gardner helps that. And folks, by the end of the movie, as the story is being told, well, it's great because they play one of the greatest songs again. From this movie, a fabulous score with great lyrics and great music, but a song that became an American tradition the second it was revealed, the second it was first sung. And that song is Old Man River. Now, you've probably heard that or heard of it, but it's very good. It's very important. Listen to the words again. It's sung, in this case, by William Warwick and uh, in the movie. But it was, I, I think, made most famous by... The great Paul Robeson. What a voice! What a what a talent! He was. He spoke, in fact, to my father's high school in Brooklyn, Abraham Lincoln High, in Brooklyn, when my dad was well was a kid, and they all went there, in their little short-sleeve white shirts and their little short clip-on ties, to an assembly, and the great Paul Robeson came to speak to them, and my dad remembered. He told me that Paul Robeson, with that great, resounding, bass voice, said to them from the stage, he said, I, the grandson of a slave. And then he continued, I'm here today to speak to you, all of you. But that phrase really made me think, even when I was a kid, when my dad told me, good lord folks i the grandson of a slave well folks that song itself what what great words what great images what great truths it had those words old man river that old man river he he must know something he just keeps rolling And that old man river, he just keeps rolling along. What a phrase, though, to call it Old Man River, the Mississippi. And the way it's, well, the way it's sung by ropes and good Lord. Old man river, that old man river. I hate to insult it, really, by, by taking a whack at it like that myself. But what a way to think of it. He... He he must know something. He just keeps rolling. That old man River, he just keeps rolling along. And then, oh, what do I remember. That's why, yes. Oh, what's that? That last part of the song that uh, after tote that barge, lift that va- lift that tote that barge, lift that rail. Get a little drunk and your land's in jail, but I keep hoping. That last verse, I'm just weary and sick of trying. That sentiment is is so deep, so wrenching. Really, I'm just I'm just weary and sick of trying. I'm tired of living but scared of dying. But Old Man River, that Old Man River, he just keeps rolling along. And they play that not only in the body of the movie, and it's so moving, and it became one of the greatest hits in American theater in the whole century. And I'll tell you what, though, folks, they play it again at the end when... Yes, love conquers all, and Howard Keel and, and Catherine Grayson are uh, find their affection again. Howard comes back to the dock there, and they do, and they, he meets his daughter and sees his wife again, and their, their love is instant. And then Joey Brown and Agnes Moorhead see that. Joey Brown and Agnes Moorhead see them. They, he, they see them hug. They're up at the top there, where the captain can call out his commands and uh, from the boat. And they smile, too, at each other. They rediscover their affection for each other. And then the magic movie moment for me in this great movie, we cut to Ava Gardner as Julie Laverne, who's on the docks And the show's over. And the showboat is pulling away to go to another city and play another show. But not with Ava Gardner. She hasn't been on the boat. Not for a while. It's not for her. She's too sad. But she watches these two that she brought back together. Hug and kiss. And commit themselves to each other in that great joy of love. And Ava Gardner reflects that. She acts that so beautifully. Her eyes fill with tears. And she, she almost smiles though, because she knows that is something she will never have. And now, I was just saying to the Colonel before, what will happen to her? What will happen to Ava Gardner as the showboat sails away and paddles itself away and people commit themselves in love to each other? Well, not for Ava Gardner. She will go back to her bad drinking habit and the bad men who are attracted to her and do the same thing. And unless, well, unless she gets very lucky or makes a great, great change in herself. She's waving goodbye to the showboat and to her life with it. And folks, it's a beautiful movie and made even more beautiful by Ava Gardner crying as it paddles away. Please see that. Please see this great movie If you've never seen it, remember it was a huge Broadway hit And I'll tell you what As happy as you may be When you hear great music When you hear Old Man River sung In that movie Well, you'll know what music is Oh, how meaningful to know that and you know what, it, it it should be known that way, I, uh, because that's why Mother's Day is such an important day. We We just had it, of course, and Father's Day is never the same. You know, I'll tell you about that in a second, but boy, Mother's Day, a good mother deserves a good Mother's Day. And that's the simple truth of it. If I, if fathers, frankly, and I'm a dad. No, we, we fathers don't. Fathers don't need another tie. Is all I'm saying. And then, and I would, I've gotten gifts from my kids. God bless them. they? As they grew up with a tie or a belt, and they're wonderful. And I, I love them. And I love the gifts too. But I love the kids who gave them to me. But the truth is, it's mom who deserves a great day. I remember. Uh, Cooking for my mother on Mother's Day. I don't know about you, but my sister and I, every single year, we were going to cook for mom. That's the gift. That was our big gift. We'd get other things too, but that was the big gift. On that Sunday morning on Mother's Day, we'd wake her up and uh, early and shake her out of bed and just, Mom, hey, Mom, you know, today's Happy Mother's Day. And by the way, right off the bat, the poor woman's finally sleeping. Leave her alone. I mean, that that that's that's just something I want to insert there, just... She's asleep. Good Lord, let her be. She doesn't need you to shake her out of bed just to tell her, don't get out of bed, because that was the thing. We'd shake, you'd say, Mom, Mom, Mom. And you know, you wake up mothers like that. The first thing, they I panic. They'd blink their eyes, but Who, who's sick? Anybody sick? They, they don't know what's going on. No, Mom, today we cook for you. We're going to cook for you. We cook for you. You don't cook a thing. You don't have to. In fact, don't get out of bed. You stay in bed. We're going to go to the kitchen. We're going to cook everything and bring it here to you. And I'm telling you, you no, know, we did this every year, but every year my mother, God bless her, would look at us and say, please, no, sweetheart. No, don't do that. Don't, don't. It, it's no, just don't. Don't, I don't need anything. Just the two of you just go, go make yourself some cereal and just, uh, and watch some cartoons. And, uh, I'm going to, Go back to sleep, if I can. And then just... But don't cook for me. Because she knew that, by the way, because we, well, we absolutely ruined the kitchen every year. Every year we destroyed the kitchen. I mean, come on. We would just, you know, get just to make anything in here. Pots and pans hitting the floor and, you know, giant gas explosions (laughs) with orange flames just shooting into the living room. But I mean... We destroyed the kitchen. And every bang, and then after about an hour and a half, we bring mom a cup of coffee, you know, which was terrible coffee. It was just, it was, it couldn't be unterrible, but she would take it all right. And then, you know, like a small glass of orange juice. And, you know, God bless her. She accepted it because she knew we were really, we were really trying. And uh, that was, it was never good. Whatever we made was terrible. We'd always try something like French toast, which was horrible. Whatever we made was horrifying. And the the fact that we didn't burn the house down was the great blessing of that Mother's Day. Because she knew, you know, my mom knew that the real Mother's Day was she had to clean the kitchen after every one of these episodes. And she would have to go in there. You know, she could have used a crew there, a building crew of just, you know, and really just sand everything down. But she did it and we, uh, we, we cooked for her every year. It was different for dad. I got my father old spice every year. So for Father's Day, again, it's it's different. We'd go to the pharmacy, Mr. Brill's pharmacy. And, uh, I would always get some more old spice and he always had plenty of old spice. Because every kid would get that for his father on Father's Day. I don't know if it was Old Spice. But with me, boy, I, I always got Old Spice. And uh, But for mom, we would, we would cook. And this year, because remember, a good mother deserves a good Father's Day. Our older boy, who uh, is a corporal now in the Marines, drove up from his base in San Diego there. And, uh, well, that was the reason. He, he drove up. For Mother's Day. And so we could all go to dinner together, which is awfully nice of him. And he, you know, that's a heck of a drive, by the way. I don't know if you know that. But San Diego to Los Angeles is on a perfect day that nothing goes wrong. It's two, two and a half hours. And that's not speeding, but you can really glide along and say, look how beautiful it is. Look at that. Look how the ocean is. Look at that. But if anything is wrong, and there's always something wrong. I mean, come on, that it's there's always construction or traffic. Suddenly, then it becomes a th- it's a three and a half hour drive, and well, you're ready to kill someone, and they're ready to kill you. But that's all right, and uh, because that's that's the drive. It's both the greatest and the worst drive in America. But he came up. He got here about five thirty. On uh, Sunday afternoon, and well, my wife was thrilled to see him, and uh, and he made a good, you know, he made a great, well, a great marine effort there. And he, we all went out, the four of us, to uh, a nice restaurant, not a fancy place, but it was a good barbecue uh, place that was filled with families, and everybody was the same in the sense that every father with every family was a chubby comedy writer. I mean, that's what they are. My wife is a great writer-producer, and, uh, well, I'm me. But we knew everyone there, every father and every mother, too. But all the fathers, hey, look, there's Brian. Hey, look, there's Phil. They're all, well, other writers my my wife has worked with. And, uh, And that's a perfect place to be because, you know, yeah, the fathers are all a little chubby, which is what they are. And because uh, they're writers, I remember the when the first writers' strike, when they would give out T-shirts that were all the writers' guild shirts were all double XL and triple XL, and they were. Now you put those on, you say, say this feels good. <laughs> and That's where every every well every chubby writer had a very comfortable large extra large, yeah, never mind large extra large two XL or three XL shirt, and then I was asked by the Screen Actors Guild, which I'm a member of also, that they they wanted me to come down and make a speech to tell them they had a rally outdoor at a studio uh, on uh, Pico. And uh, that's right, it was Fox. At any rate, though, uh, so they asked me to come down and make a speech, and I said, fine. So I got down there and went to the head table there with all the folks who were organizing everything, and they said, oh, here, put on a put on a SAG T-shirt. And I said, great. But all they had there was SAG T-shirts, meaning they were all small and extra small because they're for actors. That's when I, I laughed because I realized, well, that's the difference there. Let's see. We're looking for T-shirts for writers. Oh, then we get the 2XL and, and then the 3XL. What about for actors? No. For actors, you mean like Kira Knightley? No, we're going to get her. a a, a triple small, and you're a guy, so we'll give you a double small. They were all, I'm telling you, I looked like Jethro, where your hands and arms are stinging. It's like wearing something in an asylum where they don't want you to riot anymore. But I did. I put one of those on over the writer's guild shirt, just silly, realizing that, oh, actors get the skinny T-shirts because they are skinny, and writers get the fat T-shirts because, well, (laughs) they're not skinny. And uh, at any rate, though, we went to a nice restaurant with all sorts of writers in it. And they were all eating the same the thing we ate. Now, Mom, you know, and she deserves. it. She could get a fancier dish there, you know, because it's Mother's Day. She could get something like a sliced London broil or a piece of fish or something. And she can relax. She can have a couple of drinks if she wants. And uh, she did. She had a few drinks and. Because you know that I could drive back, or one of the kids was there; I mean, he could drive us back. And uh, so she had a, she had a great meal, and and I, as the, as the dad, can tear into a rack of ribs and look like a Roman slave. I mean, it's not as elegant. And you know, you've got your face lathered in sauce and meats, and a big frosty mug of beer that keeps getting refilled magically. And then you you pay for the thing, and every father at the end of the meal kind of gets up, stretches, and waddles to the bathroom, you know, to wash up. But, of course, he has to get on the chubby husband line because every other chubby husband is doing the same thing. We've all eaten the same thing. We've all had a rack of ribs and a plate of, do you want the beans? Yes, I want the beans. Bring me the beans. You want a salad on the side? No, this is not a place for salads. Who's going to eat a salad here? No, bring me the beans, please, and uh, everything. And by the way, take everything and fry it, the whole table, just fry it. But it was delicious. It was fine. It was good. And so, you know, and then you go home after you've washed up, and you go home, and everybody gets to hug. This is only – it's a meal. It's not not seven hours. It's about an hour and a half. And uh, you go home, and uh, we took a picture uh, and a nice smiley shot of the four of us, and my wife put it on uh, Facebook or uh, or something. Or yeah, I think it was Facebook. And and every by the way, all the all of us, all the rib-stuffed fathers, then wind up sitting alone watching TV for a couple hours alone, so that he can belch without making his wife want to throw up. You know, his wife can go upstairs. It's a holiday. It's her holiday. And the truth is the husband can use that time alone to, <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's the way to end the holiday. And then my son, the Marine, drove back that same night. He was only here for, um, well, about two and a half, three hours. But he's, he's, he's young and he's tough enough to do that. So he got back in the car and pulled out. We had a nice hug in the driveway, and he pulled out about 8.30 that night. And, uh, well, thank God he got home safely, back to the base there. It's weird for me to say home, by the way, that way, because coming back here, this is his home. But I suppose that's, oh, that's the classic thing a father should say. But you know what? It was a wonderful Mother's Day, and... Well, our younger son got her something nice. He got her a card, and he wrote something nice in it. And that really moved her. It was very nice. And he wrote a check to her for $9. They had a a running joke about that, the number nine money. So he gave her a check for $9, and she was teared up and said, that's very sweet. She said, do you mind if I don't cash this? Can I just sort of thumbtack this to the bulletin board? And uh, and then cash it, but uh, and then I gave her. Well, you know what? I've mentioned this before, and I'm not proud of it, but I, I I kind of and I went, I I went to Ralph's that day. This was a big supermarket in our area, and I went to Ralph's to get all sorts of things that both the boys and my wife might might want. You know, and uh, even though the, our older son wasn't coming coming up from uh, till 5:30, and we were all going to go out to dinner still. You know there are things he, he, you know he likes that herring pickles and things like that, and the things that even if he doesn't touch, daddy can the next day. <laughs> really, things daddy likes. But I got all sorts of stuff and coffee and milk and things we needed, and uh, then I I thought, well, I hadn't gotten anything for my wife for Mother's Day, and that's stupid. I know it. But I didn't. I didn't get her anything, and they have. I knew they had a flower department there at Ralph's. My wife doesn't like flowers. She doesn't like when I get her flowers, and but I I always think I'm not. I'm not trying to make her, you know, make her annoyed. But well, at least I can get that. I can do that. So I did. I I went to the flower department, and there was a a big line of men just like me. It was all all men on Father's Day at the flower department. And one of the guys on line behind me said, boy, there's a big line today. And I said, well, yes, that's because it's the stupid husband's line. And he laughed and said, you mean we're all? I said, yes, that's right, you and me included. Well, it's a stupid, too dumb to buy our wives something yesterday or the day before, or the day before that, too dumb. And so this is the good stupid line. We can go up and get and I got, well, two dozen roses, they, uh, two batches, a dozen in each, and a balloon that, uh, said, I love you, happy Mother's Day. And, uh, I was looking forward to bringing that home, by the way, but I put it in a, that, bu- the balloon flew out the sunroof uh, a couple of blocks from us here. <laughs> and that's, and I mean, it went, boo, it went like blasted out of the sunroof. And that, that balloon is on mars now that thing was was going and uh well you know what though i was glad i set the roses up in two different vases with water and i took the little card they had there and wrote something well something affectionate which is not your business and i th- i think she liked that just fine but you know what again A good mother deserves a good Mother's Day and a good gift. Next year, well, maybe I'll get her something better. But you know that, and I know that. I hope you had a good one and that you have a great one, too, next year on Mother's Day. And we know the same things, folks. Homer is Homer, and Pluto is a planet. So remember, as always... If you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. Happy Everything Day. We'll see you next time.